it's almost worth preaching just to take that mask off. Uh, well, I'm uh, P.J. McClung. I'm a member here. And some of you, I know most of you. If you don't know me, I'd, I'd like to get to know you. But uh, Parker has uh, asked me to fill in this morning, so it's come to this. Uh, Wally said something about catching up on his sleep during the sermon, and uh, I can't blame him. I've read the sermon, and so I may doze off in the middle of it myself. Uh, but I welcome you this morning to this place, and I chose the scripture, hopefully after prayer, uh, hopefully having heard from the Lord on what to say of uh, Psalm 100. I do want to uh, take just a moment, because I'm usually sitting in the parking lot with some of the others out there, so uh, if, if you in the parking lot can hear me, blow your horn. You know, just being sure. Uh, we had talked at one time about uh, using the horns for amens, but uh, it might become a bit much. Listen to the reading of the word of the Lord. This was uh, a, a special section for a special day, and I pray that the Lord will be glorified. And when I finish reading the scripture, I, we will pray together. It's a short psalm. It's Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name, for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, your word has been read aloud, and your scripture says in regard to your word being proclaimed that you will send it forth in power. And we pray it will not return unto you void, but will accomplish all that you set forth to do with it and prosper in the thing you send it forth to do in us. Remember us, Lord. May your Holy Spirit move freely and be welcomed in this place. Uh, we have heard the uh, beautiful music. We have had fellowship. We now uh, pray that you will quicken our hearts to receive and understand what it is that you want us to receive in this place for this morning on this day. And guide us, Lord. We have come through a very difficult year. I know of no one who was not affected by some of the uh, uh, events of this year, in particular the, the disease that has uh, come through our land and, and affected other countries especially. And Father, we would pray this morning that you would bind that disease and you would cease it from growing and that you would take away its power and that you would give healing to those who have it and protect those who don't. We ask for that because you tell us to ask and we shall receive. Thank you for your faithfulness. And lastly, I ask, Lord, because I am a man and men are prone to failure, either speak through me or in spite of me, but in the name of Jesus Christ, to the glory of God the Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit, speak this morning, and we thank you in his name. Amen. You may notice that the scripture reading and the references that I will use come from the King James or Authorized Version. 
you're welcome to follow along in any unauthorized version you might have. Uh, I, I do love the King James. I love the uh, New English Standard that we use too and don't have a problem with it. I just, uh, so many of the verses that I memorized over the years came from King James and it, I'm, I'm just more comfortable with it, so allow me that. This psalm, Psalm 100, is listed as a doxology psalm at, at the end of seven psalms of worship and praise from Psalm 93 through 99 and it summarizes that entire group of psalms. It begins by saying, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord all ye lands. We sometimes justify when we sing badly. We say, well, uh, forgive me, but I was making a joyful noise. But I can tell you that in Jesus' day and prior to that, in the times of the Exodus and uh, in the times of Israel going into the Promised Land, that when they worshiped together, believe it or not, uh, sometimes it was a noise as far as man is concerned. Uh, they would clang cymbals, or what we refer to as cymbals. They would blow trumpets, brass trumpets, or they would blow shofar horns made out of an animal's horn. They would uh, beat on drums. They All manner of, of things that we might not consider music, although they were also accompanied many times by stringed instruments and you might have walked into a service during the temple and thought this is this is a noise but it's a joyful noise it's a joyful noise and, and I would uh, uh, I give you an illustration I hope this 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 works that when your children were toddlers when they were little if they came through the house with a pan and a spoon beating on it and you said would you stop that racket and they said I was making music for you then you would change your attitude and say, well, then beat on, continue on. Because it was the intent of their heart to offer up a gift to you, even so as we make a joyful noise unto the Lord by what we do and the music that is played and the, and the singing that is sung. Reassure yourself when you have praise for God in your heart, whatever sound you produce is pleasing to him. It says make a joyful noise means a shout of victory or war cry. Now you can you can just picture a war cry, a bunch of soldiers or a band of Indians or whatever uh, uh, preparing for war as they whoop and, and shout and holler. And the word uh, for the Lord there is Jehovah Yahweh, the existing one of the great I am. And when it says all ye lands, that is a proclamation saying we invite all peoples to join us in praising our God. It does not mean that all peoples worship Jehovah, but it was extended to all people saying come join with us and celebrate. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Serve the Lord with gladness, verse 2 says. Gladness means joy or mirth. If you have never considered making a joyful noise, or praising God as serving God, I want to give you a reference. Luke 2.36 is, is where Anna, you'll remember Anna was in the temple, a widow in the temple, who when Jesus was brought in for circumcision as an infant, began to prophesy over Jesus and, and declare that he was Messiah. But listen what Luke 2.36 says about Anna. It says, she was one which departed not from the temple, 
but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. Serving God. Serving God with joy brings honor to him from others. Colossians 3.17 says, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Meaning that there is no occupation, there is no job, there is no activity, if it's honorable and morally right, that you can do, that you can't glorify God through that. Uh, I, I, saw, I saw a janitor one time, an elderly janitor at a school, and the floors, the, it was back in the days of hardwood floors, and I, I don't, some of you remember, there were some kind of green pellets, I don't even know what they were, I think they were controlling dust, but they would throw them all over the uh, hardwood floor and then have to sweep them all back up, and it collected the dust and put a shine in it, and those floors just shine like new money. And, and I thought to myself when I saw that, that man glorifies God by sweeping the floor. There, there, there is glory to God in what you do, especially if you do it with gladness. Especially if your heart is, is intended to serve Him and to glorify Him. Christianity 101 begins with an attitude of gratitude Frequently, gladness arises as the result of serving God and not the prerequisite. I'm going to expand on that in just a minute. But it says, come before his presence with singing. Singing includes a shout of joy. Singing unites the singer with the hearer. Our first inclination presumes this means that we come near to him. And you are exactly right. That is exactly what it means. What We draw near to him. We come into his presence with singing. But I also want you to consider what Psalm 22, verse 3 says. But thou art holy, O thou, that inhabits the praises of Israel. O Lord, you are holy, you who inhabit, you come and dwell within, you are present within the praises of Israel. What does that mean? Well, we're grafted into the rootstock of Abraham through Christ. So we can, we can claim some promises for Israel, and including that one. And here's what it means. When we gather together corporately and we make a joyful noise unto the Lord, and when we praise Him and worship Him, or when you do it as an individual in the privacy of your home, that as you seek the face of God, as you draw near to Him, what you find is He's drawing nearer to you by His Holy Spirit. He inhabits the praises of his people. God, by his spirit, draws near to us when we praise him. Now, I understand we're Presbyterians and we're the frozen chosen. I've heard that. I understand. We, uh, sometimes we uh, don't always reflect the joy of the Lord in our countenance when we're out among the people. I heard about a man got on the bus and he saw another man. He, he looked like a, a member of the church where he attended. So he, uh, he sits down beside of him and looks at him and says, aren't you a Presbyterian? And the man looks at him and says, no, I'm just nauseated. Well, sometimes I think that's a bit of what we promote when we, when we as Presbyterians go out. We're, we're, we're reserved. We're reserved. The old joke was, you know, when, when a Presbyterian gets happy, he dances from the waist up. Well, there's more to joy than, than being somber. We have every reason to rejoice. We are children of the living God. We are the chosen of God. We have 
every cause to praise him and worship him, even in the worst of circumstances. Know ye, verse 3, that the Lord, he is God. No, as used here, doesn't mean knowing of God or knowing about God, but to intimately learn of God through fellowship, through prayer, through praise, seeking his face, hungering for him. Proverbs 8, 17, God says, I love them that love me, and those that seek me early shall find me. That's a promise. This verse is an Older Testament confirmation of the Holy Trinity, and I'm going to show you why. The Hebrew reads this way in, the verse, in verse 3. Know ye that the Lord Jehovah, singular, the Lord Jehovah is singular, he is, and then the word is Elohim, which means God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Know ye that our Heavenly Father is the triune God. Know ye that when you get God, you get the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You cannot separate them. Uh, I, I, I had a person that, not all that long ago tell me, uh, well, I believe in God, but I just don't believe in Jesus. And I thought, you, you can't separate the family. You can't divest one from the three. You have to receive all. In fact, if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. Therefore, we cannot decide that we'll take the Father and leave the Son or leave the Spirit. Celebrate God, knowing us, choosing us, forgiving us through Christ. Next verse says, or next part of the verse says, It is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. In contradiction to humanistic drivel that's out there, you are created by God in his image and in his likeness, and you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You're not an accident. God don't make no junk. You are, you are a special person because God especially made you the way you are. Now, you may not like the way you are. But God likes you the way you are enough to send Jesus not to leave you the way you are, but to, to mold you and shape you over time into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. When, you may not can receive this this morning. I asked you to pray over this. That when you, you, Here's what happens when we look at ourselves. We say, well, I know what I did. I did that, and I've done this, and I've thought that, and I've, 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 I've had this thought, and I've had this anger, and a, whatever it is, I want you to understand, and I'm not going to dwell on this, but when you come to God and you say, Heavenly Father, I did it again, it's as if God says, and what exactly are you referring to? And you say, well, I did that thing that I've been struggling with that I did the other day, and I'm doing it again. And the Heavenly Father, in effect, says, I put your sins as far from me as east is from west, and remember it no more. I don't know what you're talking about. If you can get that in your spirit, it will change your life. Because we, like Lazarus, seem to walk through our lives dragging our grave clothes behind us. And God says, no, no, put on your glad rags. Put on your glad rags and rejoice and praise my name. For I love you and I have healed you and I am forgiving you. Forgiven and being forgiven. He that has made us and not we ourselves. We're created in, in the image of God and in his lifeless we're fearfully and wonderfully made. Christian maturity means that we begin to resemble our Heavenly Father in walk and in talk. When I was a boy, there was a man I admired very much. He was not a family member. He was a man in the community, but I just I really admired him. 
And one day it dawned on me, I had begun to talk like he talked, and I even had affected a limp because he walked with a limp. Now that's how much I identified with that man. That's how it is when you draw near to God and spend time with God. You begin to resemble God. Do you remember what happened to Moses when he came down from the mount? He had been with God. His face shone so brightly he had to wear a veil over himself. Oh, to God that we would draw near that much. Oh, to, oh, to God that each of us as Christians, when we walked out not to our glory, to his glory, being reflections of his glory, that others would see Jesus in us immediately. I pray that. One manifestation of being with God is joy. Joy is a spiritual attribute of God, which should not surprise us since we know the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, temperance, and faith. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. And here's the reason the psalmist gives for rejoicing. We're not foreigners who God tolerates. We are God's chosen people. Sheep draw near to a loving shepherd, but they do not get to choose their shepherd. God chose us. Jesus is the good shepherd who protects and nurtures his sheep. Praise the Lord for that. Verse 4 says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Now, gates were the first barrier to come through when you entered a city. A thankful heart, in terms of what God is describing through the psalmist, is gets you through the gates. We enter his gates with thanksgiving in our heart. And into his courts with praise. The courts would have been closer to the temple, centering into the section reserved to covenant Jews, keeping outsiders and non-Jews out, or in the case of Christians, unbelievers out, and yet we welcome and God welcomes unbelievers into the fold. As children of God through Christ, we have increased proximity. It says, be thankful unto him and bless his name. I'll tell you more about that in just a minute. But here's the overview. Here's the order of approach. We enter his gates with thanksgiving. This restricts all but the chosen ones, but there's a more intimate level than entering his gates with thanksgiving. And it's back in verse 2 where we started. It says, come before his presence with singing. Come before his presence, his presence. His presence is his face. Only king's kids are granted that level of intimacy and contact through Christ-shed blood that we draw near to God nearer than others who are not his. In fact, others who are not his are not allowed. The most intimate level of all, the final step, and I, if you're taking notes, please just write down Psalm 46, because this is what happens once you get in the presence of God. Psalm 46 says, Be still and know that I am God, saith the Lord. Be still and know that I am God, saith the Lord. I want you to answer this to yourself. How often, with all that went on in the year 2020, how often did you sit still before the throne of God? How often did you set aside everything else and say, I just want to sit here and seek the face of the Father. I just want to open up His Word and read His Word. And By the way, let me tell you this. If you feel hesitant or inhibited or unable 
to praise God and, and you become self-conscious about it, don't. Can I give you a, an easy way to praise God? Read scripture back to God and, in, and, and put in there the attributes that he has. If it says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, just read that and says, your word says, make a joyful noise unto you. Heavenly Father, I want to. I really want to make a joyful noise unto you. I want to have a glad heart. I want to have a grateful heart. I want to be the person that you've called me to be to praise and worship you in the way that you are so much worthy. And he will, and he will, and he will. We enter his gates with thanksgiving. We enter his courts with praise, but we come before his presence with singing. And when we're there, we are still to know that he is God. One illustration, it comes from Luke chapter 10. You may know this. There were two sisters, Mary and Martha. In fact, Lazarus, who was raised from the dead, it was their sisters. And Martha is distraught from preparing food. Jesus is in the house. The disciples came with him. There's a crowd gathered. She's cooking this and cleaning that and moving the chairs around and setting up the tables, and she's exhausted. And she looks around for her sister Mary, and Mary's nowhere to be found, and she searches for her and finally finds her. And there she is. Jesus is sitting and teaching, and Mary's right there at his feet. And it upset Martha. And she complains to Jesus. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Mary learned to be still and know that Christ is Lord. So the question is, which one of those will we, will we be in 2021? All upset every time we turn on the radio, the TV, read the paper, read the magazine, hear the latest report, hear the bad news. Are we going to walk by faith or are we going to walk by sight? Because we're called to walk by faith. And if we're walking by faith, the way that you refresh that faith is to sit at the feet of Jesus Christ. There are two rules to remember. Number one, God is good all the time. And number two, when in doubt, refer back to rule number one. God is good all the time. Verse 5 says it, for the Lord is good. The Hebrew word good means agreeable or approachable. God's children approach his throne confidently because God's wrath was poured out on Jesus Christ, our sacrifice. And we approach his throne clothed in the righteousness of Christ. We come boldly before the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's Hebrews chapter 4, 16. It says his mercy is everlasting. God's not moody. He's not unpredictable. He's consistent. No child of God can deplete or diminish his mercy by the worst of our sins. Run to him. Sit in his lap and tell him your hurts and tell him your grief and tell him, tell the Lord that he's the only source that you need because he is. His truth, his mercy is everlasting. His truth endures to all generations. The truth can be translated as faithful. God is faithful to keep his covenant to all his children through all generations. Now I want you to listen carefully with spiritual ears, and I'm not saying you haven't been, but I want you to get this because this is a summary of Psalm 100, and this is the point. Nowhere in Psalm 100, nowhere did David say, praise God if you feel like it, or sing to God when you're in the mood. He never said that. It's not in there. It's not in the Bible. Feelings are not in the Bible. We're not called to feel anything. We're, we're, we're called to believe, to trust, to have faith, but we're not called to feel anything. I, I don't feel like praying. I've been there. You've been there. 
There's times when it's like I'm despondent, I, I'm disappointed, I, I prayed and this did not happen, or I prayed and something worse happened, or things did not turn out the way I wanted, and I don't feel like praising God. That is the most important time in your life to praise God. When you least feel like praising and you least feel like praying, if you will approach God, praise Him for who He is, what He is, how He is, what He's done, what His promises say, you will find in a very short time, this is not a formula, this is not a recipe, it is truth from God's Word, that as you draw near to God, all of a sudden you'll begin to see that your problem starts shrinking and shrinking and shrinking down to the size it really is. And you'll realize that God, in your estimation, in your faith, is growing and growing and growing to how big He is. You serve a mighty God, a big, big God. Turn the cat around if it rubs the cat the wrong way. But our misconception is we feel first and act second. No. When we in obedience praise God for who He is, our circumstances shrink. And he grows the most powerful medicine Christians have against depression or despondency or worry or fear is worship and praise through obedience, especially when we least feel like it. Prayer changes things and praise changes us. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Give God the glory he deserves. Now, I'm going to shift gears. And, and what, what follows, I hope, will mesh back with Psalm 100. But I want to tell you a, a personal story, and I'll try not to belabor it. Most of you have a favorite Christmas song. You may say, I remember that song from such and such event, and, and it was such a wonderful time, a joyful time. And, and whenever I hear it, it, it lifts my spirits. Well, I have a song, and I have a song that's my favorite Christmas song, but the background is a little bit different. Uh, when I was a early teenager, my family moved to another state, uh, and I started high school at that time in that state. Now, that was where my father grew up, uh, and a lot of my first cousins uh, were in that area, including one named Philip, Philip Dietz. Philip Dietz was 10 years older than I was, and I, ha I knew of him, and I had met him, but I didn't really know him until we moved up there, and yet both of us had a passionate a passion for the outdoors. It didn't matter fishing, hunting, walk, hiking. It, it didn't make, we just loved the outdoors. And so we bonded very much so. That was the closest thing to a superhuman I've ever seen. I, I, could, I could belabor the point for hours about things he did that almost seem inhuman. Uh, he had a capacity to, to hunt or fish uh, and exceed anybody else in the area. He, and and we hunted together, and he, he outshot me and outharvested game almost each time. And if he fished, he outfished me. But we grew together. We loved each other. We coon hunted all night. Sometimes he worked all day and coon hunted all night. Sometimes uh, we hunted uh, several times a week during the night. Nevertheless, we bonded very much. And I was very close to him. He was the brother I never had. I, I adored him. I loved him. My father uh, invited another friend of mine and myself to join him. We were going to take an all-day trip down to North Carolina to fish on the beach or fish at the pier. And so we traveled down there. When we got there, Dad went to a pay phone back then and uh, called back to check in. We're here safe, that sort of thing. He comes back looking very serious, and he said, I have bad news. 
uh, Philip has been injured at the place he works, and it looks bad. Well, the next morning, we never went a line. We immediately headed back 12 hours, back to where we'd come from. Philip was, uh, by the way, Philip looked like Jimmy Cagney. If y'all know who Jimmy Cagney, what he looks like, Philip was broader-shouldered, more athletic, but he looked like Jimmy Cagney. He was a good-looking man. Nevertheless, uh, Philip was in, some of you know what I'm talking about, the younger ones won't, an iron lung. He was, operating a, he was operating a forklift back before they had the cages on them. He was lifting some, some uh, uh, boxes of material up about 25 feet. They slid off the back, didn't have a backboard, hit him on the head, paralyzed him from the neck down. He's in that monstrosity of a machine, if you've ever seen one up close and personal, and it's, it's this loud pumping noise in and out air. He's inside this metal tube, and the only part of his body sticking out is from his neck out through a rubber uh, grommet there. And the doctor says he's, he's in good physical shape, and he can live to a ripe old age simply by his will to live, but he will never leave this machine. And I thought to myself, you're talking about a man, try not to choke up, you're, try, you're talking about a man who could not sit on his own couch in his own house for five minutes without twitching and fidgeting, wanting to get outside. And you're telling him he's going to spend years in this machine. Well, I knew the answer. That evening, he was forever 26 years old. In that town, in that, well, that community wasn't a town, it was common if someone was poor that the local people, as a gesture of love, would dig the grave of their loved one when they died. Seven of us teenage boys, all of whom loved Philip, we dug the finest grave ever dug. You say, how do you qualify that? I'm going to tell you. We would lower each other on a rope, and when we dug it out and had it, we, we level, took a level and leveled the bottom of the grave, smoothed it out with a trowel and water, squared the corners, smoothed those out until it was the most pristine grave I've ever heard of. And then... Without saying a word, we went home, changed clothes, and came back, and we were his pallbearers. You see, Philip was one of us. That was in June. In December that year, I was still going through the motions of being alive. My world had fallen apart. Inside, I was hollow, and no distractions affected me. I wasn't mad with God. God wasn't even in my thoughts, good or bad, and not that Philip hadn't been a positive Christian influence to me, each Sunday, he and his wife, Barbara, were in church, him wearing his starch white dress shirt and khakis, her in her patterned dress. The message that he tried to tell me was having a hard time getting through to me, too wrapped up in being a teenager, to receive eternal truth. <clears throat> a heavy, fresh snowfall had covered the ground and roadway with two feet of white, squeaky powder. That night, the youth choir practice was scheduled for Christmas, too young to drive. I walked everywhere, including to church. And as I trudged up the road on the snow in my Eddie Bauer knockoff boots, my thoughts were on Philip. This was my first Christmas without him, and the Christmas lights on the houses just made my world even darker. I was a youth choir member. I arrived on time, and yet standing outside the church, my thoughts were on a diminishing pile of dirt right out the back door of that church. I crossed the road and stood at the edge instead of going in. On that side of the road, a short field sloped downward toward a very wide and very deep valley. 
Beyond the valley was a mountain hillside of stone with trees on the top, very large. That night, standing in full moonlight, the valley with its coating of snow was daylight bright. I was lost in thoughts and grief. The stillness gripped me, and I could hardly breathe. And then, from inside the church, I heard music. Now, it was not the familiar songs I had grown up with and memorized. It was not Silent Night. It was not Away in a Manger. This was a new song I had never heard before, ever. And the choir was to learn it that night. The building filled with uninhibited, deep-voiced, mountain-strong harmony as these words cut through the night. Angels we have heard on high, sweetly singing o'er the plains. The song was sublime. It haunted me. It was magnified in a chill. And I was soaking it in. But the next verse is the verse that jolted me most. And the mountains in reply, echoing their joyous strains. I had my back turned to the church. And the sound went past me. It went across that valley. It hit that mountainside way over yonder and began to echo in waves of song over and over again exactly the way the song said. Gloria in excelsis Deo. Gloria in excelsis Deo. I didn't know that glory and excelsis Deo meant glory to God in the highest, but some sort of invisible hand was writing a revelation on my broken heart. Not a praise God because we're supposed to praise God. Not a praise God because He is God, but because He is worthy of praise. And because He came not to be like us, God came to be one of us like Philip was one of us. Living a real life with real blisters Splinters, headaches, and disappointments, Jesus dying as one of us, just like Philip died as one of us. I couldn't have spelled epiphany that night, but I could have described one. The second verse redirected my heart away from its self-absorption to a birth so natural it was supernatural. Israel thought they needed a warrior king. God knew in their helpless estate they needed the example of a baby savior, and so did we. One of them, one of us. Shepherds, why this jubilee? Why your joyous strains prolong? Say, what may the tidings be which inspire your heavenly song? Gloria in excelsis Deo. Gloria in excelsis Deo. And I stood there dry-eyed, but having my soul warmed by waves of love. And then I heard, come to Bethlehem and see him whose birth the angels sing. Come adore on bended knee. Christ the Lord, the newborn King. Gloria in excelsis Deo. Gloria 
in excelsis Deo. With my mind's eye, as through deep fog, I begin to see the wispy outline of what Philip had tried to tell me. He could not return to me, but I could go where he was. He could not return to me, but I could go to where he was. It would be ten years before I publicly surrendered my life to Christ. But in this moment, heaven came down and enriched a destitute heart. Still unsure of all the questions, I was very sure that Jesus was the answer. He felt our pain. He shared our hurts. God became one of us. I ran back across the road. I burst in through the doors of the church. I threw my jacket and my hat on the back pew. I ran up the aisle. I jumped the three steps to the choir loft landed beside one of my buddies, snatched his uh, music from his hands, and reared back and sang at the top of my lungs. See him in a manger laid, Jesus, Lord of heaven and earth. Mary, Joseph, lend your aid. With us sing our Savior's birth. Gloria in excelsis Deo. Father, we are so needy. We're so needy. And when we say we're not, we lie to ourselves. We haven't lied to you. You wouldn't believe it if we told you that. But Father, we need you. We need you desperately. In these times, there are always going to be troubled times. There are always going to be difficulties. There's always going to be hardships. There's always going to be something that breaks our heart. And yet you sent Jesus Christ, your son, to heal the broken heart. Father, I'm reminded that in Isaiah 61, when it describes the coming Messiah, one of the attributes says, He will bring the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Heavenly Father, in the name of your Son, would you drape us in that garment of praise so that when we draw near to you, when we seek your face, especially when we don't feel like it, that you would lift our heaviness and give us your joy. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's read together. If you have it in your book, and if you look, it says, Closing Reading. It's, uh, there's not a page number, I don't think, but it's on the page across from the uh, announcements. And let's read this from Psalm 34 together before I pray a prayer of benediction over you. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name forever.
receive the benediction. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accordance with Jesus Christ that together you may with one voice glorify 